everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Denlevy, joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. How are you tonight? Oh, doing well, doing well. Uh, looking forward to discussing all the stuff that we have on the show. Yeah, exciting, and looking forward to New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. And I think I speak for both of us as people who work at churches that probably this week is more of a holiday week than last week. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> you got that right. Oh, man. Ah, well, we have an excellent packed show for you here as we approach New Year. We're going to talk about the box office results. We'll dive in a little bit to uh, some updated info on The Batman as it prepares to come out in a couple months here. We'll wrap up our Christmas movie classic series by looking at some very classic films. Might even get into the whole phenomenon that is Hallmark Christmas movies. Just maybe. And of course, our watch list. All right, Rob, let's get it started. All right. Well, I have to say that um, the box office results came out and they came out precisely as I predicted them. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, congratulate myself on uh, pegging that one completely right. Because that's, you know, that's what I do on this. uh, We're the professionals here on the movie podcast. (laughs) We're the humble movie prognosticators. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Uh, but if you listen to last week's show, I gave you a prediction on what I thought the order of the box office would be, and that turned out to be correct. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home for the second weekend in a row took home uh, the number one slot. It did $84.5 million, which in and of itself would have been, I think, the second or third best pandemic release uh but of course it did 260 million its first weekend so uh the worldwide total is over a billion dollars for this movie already wow it's it's really insane the the levels to which uh it has it has uh been amazing uh now of course this was a big fall off from the 260 million but uh i think you'll be okay with 84.5 in week two uh Sing 2 came in at the number two spot, uh, $22.3 million for the weekend. Now, this was a Wednesday release, so if you include Wednesday through the weekend, it made $39.6 million. Uh, there was a couple of these that came out on Wednesday. Matrix Resur- Resurrections, number three, was also Wednesday release. And it made $12 million on the weekend, $22.5 uh from wednesday through the weekend uh the king's man uh the last one that debuted on wednesday uh 5.9 million and 9.6 million uh through the weekend and american underdog which just came out on christmas day made 5.9 million also rob thoughts on the box office numbers uh, and unsurprising to see Spider-Man continue to hold the top spot. I think that a lot of people probably went out to see it after being told that it was a solid movie and that you should go watch it immediately because as we mentioned last week, 
there was some very spoilery things in the movie and i actually went and saw it again on christmas day Mm. um i was thinking about going to see the matrix but ended up going to see spider-man again because my wife had not seen it and was interested in seeing it so we went and did that with our kids we we go to a movie every year on christmas day this is one of our christmas traditions with uh, my wife and kids and they're finally at the age where i could justify having them go see (laughs) (laughs) spider-man And they both wanted to go see Spider-Man. So it was exciting. My son loves superheroes. Mm. And some of the materials a little mature for him still. He's only seven. Um, but he really like Spider-Man is his favorite. So it was nice to be able to go see that with him. Um and uh I also saw the King's Man, and I thought that was really good as well. Um, not surprised to see Sing 2 do so well just because it's an animated kids movie around Christmas. That's going to do well. Yeah. Um, but the performance of Spider-Man worldwide is incredibly impressive. It really yeah, is. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Uh, and one thing like with the Matrix um, that stood out for me is I anticipated the Matrix to do better than what it did. Uh, however, I had kind of forgotten that it, you know, Warner Brothers is still doing the same day HBO Max releases. So I'm sure with all of the movies in the box office that you had a chance to go see, and with The Matrix, the only one that you could stream day of, um, I'm sure that meant that a lot of people just uh, saw Matrix on HBO Max and went to the theater to see other things. Um so I'm guessing that really, uh, really hurt the box office numbers for the Matrix, which uh, we will we'll get into the the streaming model here uh, more. In yeah, the- since since it was a holiday too, probably a lot of people just actually stayed home and just watched the Matrix and didn't do anything else. Yeah, yeah. So um, and I actually I got to go see the Matrix uh, today actually. Nice. So yeah. Yeah, so we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, other than that, I, again, I still question the decision to put the Kingsman out uh, on this weekend. Uh, now, if they had moved it to this coming weekend, the New Year's weekend, it would basically have, it'd be the only new movie out. I, I just don't know why it decided to run up against a slate of movies that I mean, even American Underdog, the Kurt Warner movie, made the same amount of money it did on the weekend. I just, I'm not sure why the the King's Man ended up in this time slot. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. It seems like uh, setting it up to fail. (laughs) Yeah. Putting it out when it did. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm not sure what, what was into the decision to do that, but... Um, I will still probably go see it, and I'm sure you'll have uh, you'll have some things to say about it here mm-hmm. with our watch list. Uh, find out a little bit about whether it's worth going to see. Uh, but yeah, I was glad to I was glad to see the uh, even I have not seen American Underdog, but I was glad to see it did okay. Um, just Kurt Warner, Kurt Warner's a good dude, and you know I'm glad to see that uh, that movie held its own at least. All right. Anything else in the box office? Uh, not really. 
Okay. Well, you still have time to see all of these movies because there really isn't anything coming out this weekend. <laughs> uh, the New Year's weekend is not the same as the Christmas weekend. Let's just put yeah. it that way. Uh, so you still have a chance to see any of the movies that you have missed because uh, there really is not any major releases this coming weekend. All right. In lieu of major upcoming releases, let's talk about one that's coming up in a couple of months, and that is The Batman. Yes, The Batman. Uh, a new trailer dropped for The Batman. Uh, I feel inclined to say it in some sort of a deep voice whenever, uh, <laughs> whenever we say that. I don't know if Christian Bale is just irrevocably... The Batman. The Batman. <laughs> have to do it in some sort of weird voice <laughs> uh but the batman uh dropped the new trailer and in much more it features uh, of course you know robert pattinson as the batman but this new trailer uh really really uh pulls in uh zoe kravitz his character as uh, she will be playing selena kyle slash catwoman has uh, a much more prominent role in this particular film uh, trailer, as it should be. And uh, Rob, did you get a chance to see the trailer? I did. All right. So what did you make of the latest release on the Batman? And does that change your uh, thinking about the movie at all? I mean, combining this trailer with um, the one that we saw before Dune mm -hmm. in the theater, I think that I am intrigued and impressed by the tone that the movie seems to have. We'll see if it has that same kind of tone, but it very much reminds me of um, the huge tonal shift that we saw with Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins when it came out, because Batman had been kind of like this cartoony, um, not always so super serious superhero movie and then Christopher Nolan's what felt completely different felt gritty and raw and really kicked off like a whole subgenre of superhero movies mm -hmm. um, from there and everyone tried to copy that emulate that style and I feel like this is doing the same and I I think that for this character in particular that kind of um, setting works really well because uh, I think Batman is just like a normal person with a lot of money mm -hmm. who is angry at things <laughs> yeah. Bruce Wayne um, so I feel like that dark tones uh, fits that character mm -hmm. it it's different from how Marvel has approached a lot of their superheroes and I think that I kind of think that DC should stick with this kind of approach instead of trying to maybe copy what Marvel has done or um, some of their other movies seem like they've relied too heavily on CGI that wasn't necessarily that great and it undercut what some of the movie was doing or the stories weren't that great and it undercut what the movies are trying to do. Mm -hmm. This seems like it might be more focused. Obviously it's only trailers. So we, can't know for sure but i feel like it's more drawn to that sense of gritty realism from the other dc batman movies that we've seen recently 
Um, I also th- I I also think, and this may might be completely unfair to him, and you know probably is, but because of the whole Twilight series, Robert Pattinson has been like looked at in a certain way, mm-hmm. and I think two movies that I've watched within the last couple of years, Lighthouse and um, Tenet. Yeah, I think just completely changed my opinion of him as an actor. And I think before seeing those movies, I would have been incredibly skeptical about him as Batman. But after seeing them, I think that he's absolutely capable of it. And maybe it's unfair of me to not have thought that after the Twilight series. But, you know, that's probably just my bias (laughs) showing through. I was when I heard it, I thought it was an unusual choice, but I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because I was completely like, how on earth is Heath Ledger ever going to be a good Joker? Mm-hmm. And he turned out to be like the best Joker ever. <laughs> and so I, I after that, I'm like, okay, I, I will trust that he's going to be okay and he'll he'll do a decent job. Um, I do think this feels. This feels, you're right in that it feels more, I think it feels more like Christopher Nolan Batman than it does um, the, the, the latest version of Batman. Batfleck. Um, Batfleck, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like trying to think, there's not really, I mean, the Justice League Batman, I, I don't know. The, yeah. That Ben Affleck, his run as Batman, I feel like it it's, fits more into that mold, but I'm not discounting it going not quite as far as the Joker went to push like um, just the violence and the, and the psychopathology. Um, I, I don't think it's quite going to go that far, but I think it sits somewhere in that realm between Christopher Nolan and, and the tone of the Joker more so than what mm-hmm. Ben Affleck. Um, the question is, how far is it going to sit smack dab in the middle? Is it going to lean towards one end or the other? But I think it's in that mold, and I think it's in that realm. I think it makes perfect sense um, because Batman is the Dark Knight. Like there mm-hmm. is, there is an element. There is an. It's a grittier element. He's he is a darker character, a darker villain, um, or darker superhero uh, as it were and i think that's tone tends to be appropriate for him and his character uh so i'm intrigued i i i I think christopher nolan's version did the best that you could make out of the catwoman character um so far what i've seen in the trailer they seem to be sticking very much to what uh anne hathaway the the trail that Anne Hathaway blazed with that character, uh, with what I've seen from Zoe Kravitz. Um, she's kind of a foil to Batman in some sort of way. Uh, but I'm, I'm just, I'm, we'll see if it's, we'll see if it comes out well. Um, I think sometimes Catwoman tends to be a distraction from the main story as opposed to an integral part of what makes it work. Um, so that'd be my only concern on that front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I uh, follow along with that for sure. Um, anything else to say on the trailer? Uh, I'm also looking forward to seeing what Paul Dano's uh, Riddler 
mm. does because it looks like it's based on what we saw in the trailer there it looks like it's going to be a slightly different version of the riddler than we have seen in previous movies so yeah like you said with heath ledger's joker we got like an entirely new perspective on what the joker was so i'm wondering if paul dano can bring the same kind of feel to the riddler yeah. which is another major villain in batman mm-hmm. I like the fact that they started with the Riddler. It's been a long time since this character has been tackled. Um, and we haven't seen any of that since kind of the new breed of superhero came out. So I'm definitely intrigued with what they're going to do with that character. All right. Well, uh, next thing, bit of news about the Batman is the release calendar uh, is official how they're releasing it and in what formats they're releasing it. A little background on this, the Batman is a Warner Brothers release. And we know if you've been paying attention or been listening to the podcast, hopefully you have both. uh, HBO Max and Warner Brothers, since they're, they're owned by the same place, have this deal where what they decided to do in 2021 was release all of their movies simultaneously on in theaters and on hbo max and it seemed like a decent idea at first but it has really killed their box office numbers especially as people have returned to the box office and uh it was a highly controversial uh opinion uh and lots of people spoke out against doing that um but it was interesting to see what they would do for 2022 Um, we have not seen a whole lot of info as to what they were doing. So this was going to be one of their first major releases where they were going to have to make a decision on what they were doing with the streaming side of the new movies for 2022. And so we're getting a hint of that with the release on Batman. So the deal is this, uh, the Batman will be released exclusively in theaters on March 4th. Then it will be it will be available for streaming on HBO Max uh, on April nineteenth. So about a month and a half after it comes out in theaters, presumably it's in basically about a, a normal theater run, about a month and a half for the theater run, and then it will come directly to HBO Max. Rob, what do you make of this decision? Uh, by Warner Media uh, about how they're going to handle the release of this. Uh, I think it might be the best of both worlds where they actually have a chance to make some real money in the theater, but also get it to the consumers without too much of a wait. Because for a long time, and this is mentioned in the article, you had to wait eight or nine months from when a movie came out to when it would be available to watch um, either streaming or on a disc from somewhere. Uh, so I think that maybe this is where we land with the paradigm shifting so much with what happened in the world with people not being able to go to the theater at all to slowly going to the theater. So they had the simultaneous release to this. So maybe this is um, what we end up with after all that craziness. And I, I'm not sure it will be the best for the studios in the box office because some people might just wait. Mm-hmm. 
um, a month and a half to see it, but I do think that's long enough time that if someone really was looking forward to the movie, they would probably spend the money to go see it in yeah. the theater instead of waiting almost two months. Because mm-hmm. that's just our our culture is we don't really wait for something <laughs> for a month and a half if we want it. Yeah. And that really is the key, isn't it? That's the key is somebody who is, is, is this going to be enough to get people who would otherwise have just watched it on streaming to go to the theater? Was there, is there enough of a market for that? Or like the people who were just never going to go to the theater are just never going to go to the theater and we're going to wait the 46 days and they'll just be disappointed that everyone else got to see it before they did. Uh, but there is a group of people who, because of the convenience of it, because of the ease of it, will just watch it on streaming. Uh, so is 46 days enough of a, of a gap to get those people out to the theater? And yeah, it's, it'll be really interesting because we've talked about, you know, pretty much from the debut of this podcast about what movies would look like on the other side. And I think one thing that's looking more and more likely is for most of your main releases that that six, eight month window between theater and uh, dissemination, as it were, were uh, for purchase and or streaming or whatever is is probably gone for most major releases at this point. Uh, and HBO, uh, Warner Media, uh, making this kind of official, and this is going to apply to some of their other properties too. I think I think we can probably say that we've killed the we've killed the six to eight month waiting period after theaters. And that might be a good thing too for those of us who like to own movies that we like (laughs) after we see them in the theater they're going to do the same thing with uh the physical media versions of them yeah or even the streaming versions that you could purchase for yourself yeah it will it will be interesting because i think there is a sense sometimes where where a movie a movie has like a, a movie coming back months later there's another, there's like a second round of anticipation for it. You know, oh, the release is coming. Oh, I really want to see it again. And I don't know that you're going to have that same level of, oh, it's now coming out. I've got to, I've got to make sure I get it immediately, or I've got to make sure I watch it again immediately. Um, Is that just inevitable at this point? Probably. Um, but I don't know that it's 100% a good thing. I feel like sometimes the weight does, does bring about a second release to it, but who knows? I mean, we'll see. It's, it's hard to tell how that's gonna go. Uh, but I do think this, this decision with the Batman is, is really the tent pole, both for uh, Warner Media and for what you're gonna see for a lot of the other services as well. I would expect you'll see similar things when it comes to Marvel movies and Disney releases and that sort of thing. Any other thoughts on this? No, I just think it's fascinating that we're seeing some of the outworking of the all the questions that we had asked and were curious about um, what this would mean for the industry in the future. And I mm-hmm. don't think we're done seeing things changing. I think mm-hmm. things will continue to shift. Um, the whole digital landscape is really an interesting thing. So 
But I think I think we can also say that the, the demise of the box office is uh, highly overstated. Yes, that was the one thing that that this has shaken out is that uh, you are not you're not killing the movie theater. You're not killing the the theater release only strategy uh, that that has survived at least to this point. All right, well, let's move on to uh, let's move on to our discussion, and we're going to wrap up our series we've been doing on Christmas movie classics. And I thought for the last the last kind of hurrah for this, we tackle some of the some of the real classics, some of the ones that are are the oldest ones, and and talk a little bit about them. And so in particular, we're going to discuss three. We're going to discuss White Christmas. We're going to discuss It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Carol. And they all, we'll discuss it all from a slightly different perspective. But um, the basic question we've been asking is, why are they classic? Why do people feel compelled to return to them over and over again? Um, so let's jump it off with White Christmas. And we here at the Film for Fans podcast must make a disclaimer in that neither one of us has seen White Christmas. <laughs> uh, so that is that is something. So um, apologize for that, as it were, uh, kind of. <laughs> All right. So White Christmas, uh, the 1954 classic, uh, that starred uh, Bing Crosby and uh, Rosemary Clooney. And this is a successful song and dance team become romantically involved with a sister act and they team up to save a Vermont Inn uh, of their former commander's uh, hotel, basically, his inn, to try and save his inn. Um, so Rob, is there a reason you have not seen White Christmas? Um, I just think there are so many other Christmas movies that I enjoy that I just never thought this would be one that I needed to go out of my way to see, even though mm -hmm. I really like music. You know, I think I would have seen it at some point, especially with Bing Crosby involved, just haven't. And really the only thing I know about this movie at the moment is that my one coworker at my job absolutely despises the one song from the movie about snow which has the line i want to wash my hands and feet and hair in snow which makes no sense at all it's no and it's just that one line <laughs> that makes her hate it and every time it comes on uh the radio in the office she loses her mind <laughs> and i think we've all grown to hate it because of her so thanks <laughs> Uh, for me, it's, it comes down to there are certain aspects of filmmaking that change over time. And, and if, you, if you watch closely enough, you can see and you can kind of track the changes. Uh, one of the problems I have for movies from this era and, and some of the older ones is, is pacing. Pacing tends to be a real issue uh, in a lot of these movies. And I'll get back to that when we talk about the, the next one. Uh, but that's one thing. I'm not a big fan of musicals and and that sort of thing. So that that is another negative. And like you said, there are so many good Christmas movies out there that you usually, I mean, often I will not get to watch all the ones I normally like 
uh, every Christmas. There's usually a couple that I end up missing. And so I just never felt that compelled to, to view this one. Uh, but do you have any sense? Why, why do you think some people consider this one a classic? Do you have any sense of that? Well, I think that the fact that it's from the golden age mm-hmm. of Hollywood, if you want to call it that, the 50s, and the fact that Bing Crosby is involved, mm-hmm. um, I think those are two major factors because there's just a huge level of nostalgia for that era. And um, obviously, uh, even if you haven't seen the movie, you've heard Bing Crosby sing Christmas music. It's like mm-hmm. synonymous with him. Like Michael Blue Buble currently levels of synonymous with Christmas, I think. <laughs> so I think it will always be classic for that reason because people will always gravitate towards his performance and how uh, much he is attached to the season itself. I would say for me, what my, what I get the sense of with this one is more so than some of the other movies on this list. I think this is primarily one that your family gets you into. If you have family that love this movie, if your parents loved it, if your grandparents loved it and watched it every time, that's how it's kind of passed down. Um, I would say that's, I've gotten the sense mostly from people who love this, that it, it's a family thing. It became a tradition in the family. Um, so I would say that's to me is my sense of more the driving factor of what makes this one a classic um, more so than others. Not that a lot of them have that have that nostalgia factor, but I I would just say that I would guess this is more of a family a family passed down movie. All right, enough of White Christmas. We've had enough of you, White Christmas. Yeah, we only had White Day after Christmas this year, anyway. So. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so let's move on to It's a Wonderful Life, and I'm assuming you have seen this one. I believe this is a Rob Dunham family classic. Probably seen this one about a hundred times at least. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> why why is this classic in the estimable opinion of Rob Dunham? Um, well, because my parents watch it every year when we put up the tree for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- I think that there is something in all of us that really relates to the main concept of this story, which is the guy wishes his life had turned out differently than it did. Mm -hmm. And whether or not we all are in that place now, I think there are points in everyone's life where they have that same thought. And I think that's the underlying thing that makes it so popular because everyone has that question of what if I had made this decision or what if this circumstance had unfolded in this way um, how would my life have turned out differently? And to see it completely played out in someone's life is fascinating, but also a little scary because you find out that you might not get exactly what you wanted mm-hmm. and it might not turn out as well as your life now is and brings home the idea that maybe we should be happy and content with what we've been given because that's really what um the wonderful life can be uh obviously jimmy stewart um is incredibly revered as an actor and 
I think he has a great performance in this. I also think that for its era, this movie is shot very well. And I think that is a reason why it holds up. And I, I would compare that to like the wizard of Oz. Like when I watch the wizard of Oz, I don't think, Oh, look, a movie from like the 1930s. I think, Oh wow. This movie is shot really well. Like even now. And I feel like it's a wonderful life is the same, even though it's black and white. Um, I still think that it's, it was uh, just the photography was done um, to a very high standard. So those are just some of my thoughts on why I think it's a classic. And obviously, like you said, pacing wise, it is a long movie. Yeah. Um, but I'm more of like, I, I lean towards long drama anyway. So <laughs> it's not as much of an issue for me, but I do understand why um, for some it would feel slow for sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, for me, the sense I get as to why it's a wonderful life is a classic. I, th I think you're right in that. It's easier. It's easy to relate to that. And I think, I think one of the one of the other hearts of it is the the idea is that sometimes we don't always think we matter. That what we've done matters. That the life we've led, lived matters. And and one of the cool things that you get to see in this movie is you get to see. He gets to experience how he impacted people. And I think, I think all of us have that sense where we hope that we're impacting people. We're hoping that we're, we're making a positive difference. But it's rare that you get to see that directly. It really is. It's rare when you get to see that. And, and sometimes it's very easy to get discouraged and feel like you don't make a difference and that you don't, what you do doesn't matter. And, and so that's where you see him at the beginning of this movie. And that the fact that he gets to go experience that and experience the difference he has made and the difference he makes in things really, really does uh, speak to a real heart to the film. Um, so I think there's a positive message around that, that, you know, as much as this is a Christmas movie that applies outside of Christmas, like you can watch this at a different time and, and that, that same message applies. Um, and I think that's definitely what people relate to mostly. Um, I have, I have trouble. I've seen this movie a couple, a couple times, but I still have trouble with it for those, some of those same reasons. Um, I agree with you that the cinematography is actually quite good, um, but I would I would say it needs edited, <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and it, it's fitting with the era of the time, where they just took a long, long time to tell something. Like you go through every single one of these stories, and every single one of these storylines, and every single one of them, and how they played out, and in. You know, not all of the things with modern film is is inherently good just because it's more modern. Some of it is preference and style, but I do think one of the things that that uh, modern movies have have mastered is the idea of being able to tell something um, and get to the heart of what you're trying to say um, using fewer words, using fewer scenes, more more economy more efficiency uh there is something to be said about telling something over a long period of time as as just like the evidence just stacks up and stacks up and stacks up um 
but I think you run the risk of, um, especially you run the risk of, of just taking too long to tell something. And I, I do think that is my main critique of a, it's a wonderful life. It just takes too long to get through to the point. Like after a couple of stories, you get it already. It's like, move on um so that that's just my my minor critique of that one but it is it is it, overall it is a well done movie even if it's not a personal favorite of mine uh, and now we get to the an interesting case of a christmas carol and if you're saying well which version are you talking about for a christmas carol that is, in fact, the correct question. Which version are you talking about? Um, I saw recently that this, this particular story has been shot on film over 200 times throughout the years. So there are over 200 different versions of this floating out there, which says quite a bit. Um, I'm, curious, I'm curious as to what you make of that. Because I don't know that there's any other story that's been told this frequently. I mean, I'm racking my brain to think of any that have been told with this level of frequency. Um, what do you think? Does that speak to there's not a definitive version of it? Or does that speak to the fact that this is, this is a story that everyone resonates with and it constantly needs updated? What, what do you make of that? I think it's just the story um, that people connect to because everyone can relate to not feeling like they have quite enough in the world or that they're quite enough. And that's really the story of uh, Bob Cratchit and his family. And then everyone can relate to having a boss they don't really like very much. <laughs> and that's that story. And um i think also i think ebenezer scrooge's story too speaks to us because it cautions us to not get too full of ourselves or not rely too much on ourselves at the expense of others so i think there are so many aspects to the story that people disconnect with from all kinds of angles mm -hmm. that um it's really a story that people from any class could relate to in one way or another. Um, I also just think it's a really well-written story by Charles Dickens. And um, I think the fact that it is a holiday movie is a Christmas movie is probably another huge reason why it's been made so many times mm -hmm. because look at Christmas music, like how many people cover every single Christmas song. Mm -hmm. Why are there, like a hundred new Christmas albums every year because in some ways I think things around the holidays are uh, timeless. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is something that falls in that category. Yeah. It, it's really interesting because you look at different, let's, let's throw this out different franchises. Like you have, you have Tom Cruise being in every mission impossible. Uh, on the other hand, you have Bond, which has had many actors play the same role. Uh, and not every franchise can go that direction. So I think you see, you see similar things with, like, I don't think anyone's going to be, I think it'd be an uproar if someone tried to do another version of It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. 
However, it's perfectly acceptable to remake the Christmas Carol all the time. Right. And everyone's okay with that. It's, it's, it's weird how some properties are like that. Um, you get attached to one specific version or you get attached to the story in whatever version it happens to be in. Um, I think in part that is, as you were saying, that it is, it speaks to the power of the story itself being the driver rather than the specific actor or the specific rendition. Um, It speaks to the power of the story itself. And I think that's what makes it compelling. Uh, I agree with you on the different roles and, 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 you know, what you can relate to on that. Uh, But that gets us to, that gets us to, to this, with so many different versions, Rob, in your opinion, is there a best one? Is there a favorite of yours? I mean, it's about the Christmas Carol and that's really uh, for debate, so. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> Muppets, I knew it. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, no, no other versions of a Christmas Carol have Rizzo the Rat. Um, so that that's just true. Yeah, it wins because of that. Um, Michael, My, Michael Caine, obviously. I mean, mm-hmm. so we've got some gravitas too. Yeah. To the movie, um, but I, I think I like that version of it because you got the the added humor because this movie and this story is actually like really dark Mm -hmm. and i don't know if there have been many versions of it that have gone completely into the darkness of what's happening because the book itself is kind of terrifying honestly um i will say i appreciated jim carrey's animated version of it for that that it seemed to approach some of those scenes and characters with a little more sincerity Mm -hmm. and they were genuinely scary to the point where little kids were crying in the theater when i went and saw it (laughs) because their parents thought bringing them to a christmas carol would be great and just kind of ignored the fact it was rated pg-13 yeah but um yeah those are probably the two that i like the most that i've seen yeah I would say uh, I have a, a personal bias in that I love the version that was done with uh, with uh, Captain Picard himself. Mm. Yeah, I, I love the Patrick Stewart version just because it's Patrick Stewart, and I think he did a great job playing that role. Uh, but the Muppets one is quite good. The Jim Carrey one is quite good. I, there's a version I remember seeing as a kid, and I haven't been able to track down which version of it is. Like I have memories of certain scenes from it in my mind but i can't i have not been able to find which version it was that i saw that i remembered um because i remember it being a little bit frightening but i I don't remember which version it is so i'm still trying to track down which version i saw as a kid that i that really sticks with me Um, because i don't remember who who played ebenezer scrooge in that one plus i think just that that character of scrooge is just like he's he's an iconic he's an iconic character uh, yeah all right no that uh, brings us to the end of a christmas carol i don't want to spend a lot of time on the next one uh but i just i just felt compelled like we needed to talk about this one hallmark christmas movies they are a staple every single year and if i don't know about your mom but my mom watches all of them 
all of them and sometimes watches them beyond Christmas like all of them they are constantly on at, at my parents house uh throughout the holiday season and my mom does not watch a ton of tv but she watches the hallmark christmas movies <laughs> and they're all kind of the same i think that the moral of the story is do not let your girlfriend go to her hometown for christmas just don't that's <laughs> um, not going to end well for you the boyfriend um, but these seem to be they seem to be very very popular um probably more so with women than with men. But what, what role do you think of the Hallmark Christmas movies and that kind of Hallmark Christmas tradition plays uh, in, in the holiday movie theme? Well, I don't watch them, so. <laughs> I... <laughs> uh, my wife likes them, but it's not like they're on all the time. Um, I don't think it's just Hallmark. I think like other places show them too, like Lifetime and mm -hmm. Netflix is coming out with some of the similar feeling movies. Yeah. I think just feel good. Don't have to actually use your brain. Um, and somebody finds true love at the end <laughs> is really just the point of all of these movies. And I think people just watch them because they want to feel good. And, yeah. you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not necessarily what I watch movies for. Mm -hmm. yes christmas love yes yes go together love actually <laughs> yes uh-huh uh-huh that's we should discuss that in next year's christmas classics series yes we should we will <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to do that one because that's an we'll interesting to, one. yeah we'll also talk about romantic comedies around christmas at some point yes we will <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, let's wrap that section up and uh, be done with the Christmas movie classics. Uh, let's move on to our watch list now. Movies that we've watched over the past week uh, and, and our general thoughts on them. Rob, why don't you get us started? So I saw Spider-Man again and loved it even more the second time. Um, I saw it on Christmas Day and it was pretty much a full movie theater still. So that was really exciting. Uh, and it was like three o'clock in the afternoon. So for what that's worth. Yeah. Uh, I went and saw it with my family and I love doing that on a Christmas day with them. Um, I just kind of, I paid a little more attention to the performances of uh, all the actors, the Spider-Mans and really really just impressed by again how they interacted and how they developed the storyline to make it all work mm -hmm. so i i very impressed by this movie um i also went and saw the king's man and i enjoyed it i was skeptical of it going into it some of the trailers made me wonder what they were trying to do with the movie what exactly the role of all these bad people were um i think that it was pretty neat how they explored some of the major events in history and how they may have been masterminded by a secret organization behind the scenes i don't necessarily track with how they did everything that way um it's certainly not 100 percent historically accurate um 
And the one, the one major thing I had took issue with was I don't see how the villain could turn out to be who the villain actually was, mm. which was a little frustrating for me. Mm. Because I liked the character, but it didn't make a whole lot of sense in the end. Okay. Interesting. But I would still say, I would still recommend it for going to see. Still think it was a good movie overall. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so for me, I got to see Matrix Resurrections today, actually. I went to see it. Uh and it's, I'm still, since I, I just saw it like a couple hours ago, I'm still processing what I think about it. Um, it is not the Matrix. We'll start there. If you're anticipating it being some sort of revolutionary sci-fi epic, it is not. Um, they did some interesting, some highly interesting things, especially early in the movie. Um, it it tries to go in new directions, but it can't help but constantly go back to the old directions that it had take previously. Um, so we talked a little bit when we when we did our review of Spider Man about how it avoids kind of the the legacy trap. Um, I don't know that the Matrix uh, does anywhere close to as good a job avoiding the legacy trap. I think that it trades on it quite heavily uh, while trying not to trade on it. Um, yeah. Um, so it's, I mean, it's fun to see some of those characters again, uh, but I don't, I didn't hate it but I can't say I really loved it either. Mm. It is it worth it's worth seeing. It's worth seeing to just just to see it and form your own opinion of it. And I won't I won't give too much away since I know you haven't seen it yet. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know that ultimately it's it adds much in a way of uh, making this happen but there's there's some interesting things they try to do with it which which i found intriguing um especially early in the the decisions they make early into because you know it's been 20 years almost 20 years since you've seen a, a matrix movie and what world are they bringing you back into and why is it there um, those are key questions that have to be answered towards the beginning of the movie and and they take some unique directions with that, which I thought I thought were were positive largely, uh, but didn't leave you a whole lot of places to go, and largely left relatively unexplained. Hmm. Uh, so I'll be intrigued to hear uh, what you to see what you think about it whenever you get around to getting around to seeing it, but. I would say ultimately it's not a great movie, but I wasn't necessarily assuming it would be. I had my suspicions it wasn't going to be great. So I can't say I'm disappointed. Uh, 
but it's I would say it's worth seeing just to just to form your own opinion and to see some of those characters that which which were really cool. Uh, so that's that's my thoughts on that one. Um, lastly, I uh, I got to see uh, I'll, I'll just do one more. I, I saw the Prestige again. Mm. Every now and then I just get in the mood to watch the Prestige, and man, is that such a good movie! Oh my goodness. The way they layer the breadcrumbs about that, you know, and, and just, I mean, they tell you what's happening the whole time and you still don't know it. You still don't see it. The way, the way they use that, you know, the pledge, the turn, the prestige, that, that thing and the way they use that over and over and over again throughout the movie is just so brilliant. And everything about it is amazing. And it was it was the first one I remember, first Christopher Nolan movie I remember seeing. And it, oh man, it's so good. Yeah, I think in some ways the prestige is kind of like a more relatable storytelling version of Memento. Not that Memento is the same. Mm -hmm. thing but in that movie too you're dealing with like a lot of little pieces coming together to reveal what's actually happening at the end and the prestige is the same thing um but probably more for like a uh, more general audience mm -hmm. um but I, I just christian bale and hugh jackman's performances in the movie are just out mm -hmm. of this world yeah and and the way the way it's cut and edited you basically have two characters operating slightly different timelines, uh, slightly offset on their timelines, but basically how he cuts it together, they're both reading each other's journals as the story is being told. And the way they do that, it's just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. But yeah, if you have not seen The Prestige, you need to go see The Prestige. Yeah. yeah. It is so, so good and so worth it um yeah all right well that is all the time we have for you today thank you for tuning into film for fans and make sure that you visit filmforfans.com uh rate and subscribe to the podcast like our youtube videos and tell your friends about it uh, till next time enjoy the movies